Hello, everybody. Good morning. Thank you. Um, hey, for those of you who are maybe visiting or uh, first time or new, my name's Aaron. I'm the worship arts pastor. And I am Joy, and I am the associate, associate worship arts pastor. Yes. What am I? I'm a That's... child of God. <laughs> That's your identity. <laughs> That's my identity. <laughs> oh, man. So if you are one of those people, and I'm not judging, I know some of you, you like to roll in or tune in at about, you know, 20, 25 after, so you can skip the worship leader people and just catch Bill giving the message. Well, surprise, this is your favorite day. You're stuck with us, the worship leaders, for the next about 35 minutes. Uh, we are in a, we're three weeks into a series called my circus, my monkeys, together through the chaos. It's about the church. So today, uh, Bill asked us if we would teach on worship. So we're excited to do that. We've taught on worship before, but it's been a while. And so I'm thrilled this time to be teaching with none other than Joy Haley. <laughs> if you've been going here for a while, you know that for years, Joy's been leading our church in worship. But, uh, and if you know her, Deeper than that, you know, she's just a deep well of maturity in Christ and wisdom. She's got a pastoral heart and she serves on staff uh, in those capacities. And uh, so I'm excited to hear from her on that. And also she's going to seminary right now. So her theology chops are like razor sharp right now. Uh, so we're blessed to have a Joy giving us, bringing the word today. There's a lot we could talk about, about worship. In fact, we even had conversations after the nine o'clock with people, oh, what about this, what about that? And lots of great thoughts on worship. You could do a whole series on it and not cover everything. So today, we want to, since this is a series on the church, we're gonna focus our, the trajectory of our talk on you know, moving from you know, what is worship and, and then why do we sing as individuals, but beyond that, why do we sing as a gathered Church. So that's the trajectory of where we're going to go and the focus of what we're going to talk about today in worship is why do we sing and then why do we sing as a gathered church. So before we dive in, though, we would love to pray. So would you yeah. pray with us? Lord God, we, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is in your word. Lord God, we pray that, I, I pray that we would center our minds and our hearts, Lord God, to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Whatever we may say this morning, let it just glorify you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we think about worship and what is this thing called worship, we want to clarify what we even mean by worship. And we often, today, we associate it or reduce it to just a music genre, but it's so much more than just that. Um, at Rolling Hills, we like to define worship as the act of assigning ultimate value to something in a way that orders and energizes your life around it. So as followers of Jesus Christ, worship is giving the God of the Bible the ultimate value, submitting to his authority and finding our greatest enjoyment and fulfillment in our submission of him. So in the dictionary, um, the word worship itself means to honor or show reverence for a divine being, um, divine being. To break this down from a biblical viewpoint, um, as Christians who love the Lord, worship is showing honor and reverence to God. The word worship in Hebrew is shakah, which is literally to bow down, and in Greek, it's proskuneo, which is often associated with kneeling in honor or respect to a conquering king out of adoration, but also appealing to God for, for mercy. And so 
We worship God in in how we live. And this morning, we're gonna be looking through uh, several different scriptures from the Old Testament to the new and back to the old. And so if you are a brand new believer, if you are new to the Bible, we apologize in advance for jumping around. But um, most of these scriptures that we will refer to will be on the screens for you. And so first, we're gonna look at Romans 12. And um, in Romans 12, one through two, Paul was teaching the church in Rome, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we give our, our whole lives to worshiping God. It's, it's not just just music and, and how we honor one another, we worship God, and, and, and how we treat our, ourselves and honor um, one another, we, we worship God and we honor God. We worship God out of reference for who he is and it's, it's, not out of, um, it's not a conditional state. It's based on who God is because he is a holy, holy God. Throughout the Bible, God reminds us that he is a holy God and this started very, very early in the Bible in Leviticus, in the Old Testament. God used Moses to speak to the people of Israel and he gave, God gave guidelines through Moses for how the Israelites should even live and, and how they were to be set apart. He teaches and reminds Israelites that he is a holy God. And he says it in, in these following scriptures in Leviticus. Leviticus 11.45, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Leviticus 27, consecrate or make sacred yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. We serve a holy God who is so worthy of our praise and we worship him in awe and in reverence because he is holy. So if, if worship is... Um, not a genre of music, then why then do we spend 25 to 30-ish minutes um, singing then? Let's look at uh, a couple of reasons. One, we utilize singing as a tool to worship God. I found this out from Aaron that singing is the second most commanded practice in the Bible, which is not to be confused with the second commandment. But it's because the word sing shows up so frequently in the Bible and a majority of this time is shown, is shown in the book of um, Psalms. So we're gonna look at um, Psalms, which are a call or an invitation or a command to sing. In Psalms 511, it says this, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt you. They may feel or show triumphant elation or jubilation in you. That's a lot, it's a lot of joy. Psalm 717, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Psalm 9-2, I will be glad and exalt you. Again, joy, I will sing praise to your name, almost high. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his, of, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people 
Three times in one passage it says sing. So we have been called to sing and we love to hear you sing. Just before um, we came up, I was, I was sitting down and I was with you gathered as one body united in Christ and I could hear voices around me singing and we just love that. Yep, I told you, sharp theology, Shams. We do. We love to hear you sing, and we need to hear you sing. I was recently reminded that uh, when we gather together, we have a lot of awesome instruments on stage and wonderful people playing them, and I love all these instruments, but the most important instrument in this room is you, your voices singing. The church, the congregation gathered as one voice, that is the most important instrument in this room. Everything that we do up here is to support you and to hear you sing as a gathered people. No instrument can, can copy that. And there's no other environment in the world that duplicates the experience of the church singing. Brooke Ligertwood, she's a worship leader and songwriter with Hillsong Church from Australia, a big church, and she writes a lot of the songs that we've sung. And she has this to say about the sound of the church singing. She says, the church is not a crap. Sorry. It's the worst Australian accent ever. I'll just say it. My Aaron accent. The church is not a crowd of music enthusiasts. It's a vast congregation of diverse generations, backgrounds, experiences. When the church gathers to worship and that beautiful diversity all focuses on one target, and unites around one trajectory, the sound is unlike anything else I've heard on this earth. That's true. I think you've, you can probably resonate that with that. When you've been here in one of our gatherings or maybe another moment and you really hear the sound of the church swell in triumph, worshiping God, there's something indescribable about that. Now, I know a lot of you right now, you're like, okay, great, but you know, singing is just not my thing, Aaron. That's just not what I do. I, you know, I, I can't even carry a tune in a bucket. I don't, and I don't, I don't like singing. That's just not my thing. Um, then just speak the words, but say them out loud. Right? You don't have to sound like Adele or Michael Bublé or Shawn Mendes or Aretha, whoever. It's not, that's not the point. It doesn't have to be your thing that you're good at. It's, we're commanded to do this because when these truths come out of our hearts and out of our mouths and they enter the air, what is happening in the room is that we are being transformed by the gospel on the spot. The rhythm of weekly gathering and allowing these words, even when you don't feel like it, allowing these words and telling yourself, and even like what that song said, I'm going to preach to myself. That's what you're doing, and you're preaching to others around you what is true and recalibrating your priorities and your ideas. So we need to hear you sing. And if you don't like to sing, just yell it. It's, this is not about passive information intake. It is an active participatory act, and it's an act of warfare. I wish we could talk about that, but you are, you are pressing back the forces of darkness when you speak the light of truth through these songs together. Singing is a critical part of our spiritual formation. There's two legs we kind of walk on and stand on as Christians, as we're trying to keep in step with Jesus and to thank and love and live like him. So one of them is being filled with the Spirit. 
letting his Holy Spirit be in us and kind of control and order our steps. And the other is to have the word of Christ, his word, the Bible, like dwelling in you richly in such a way that it's just saturating all of your thoughts. And the Apostle Paul, in his letters to the church in Colossae and in Ephesus, he connects both of those foundational elements of the Christian life to singing, believe it or not. Let's take a look at a couple of those passages. I think Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And there's a sister passage to this. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, one of my favorite words. I don't know why, it's just a funny word. Um, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So both of those things, the Word of Christ dwelling richly in you and, and this being filled with the Spirit, they're both connected to singing. You know, scholars have different opinions on what the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs actually mean, but what everybody generally agrees with is that being filled with the Spirit and having the Word of Christ in you are connected to music, to us singing together. And science actually, it's, it's crazy how science is just chasing the thoughts of God. And scientific studies about how the brain works have confirmed that music has a way of embedding meaning and truth into us. We are wired to receive and ingest and then assimilate truth when, it is, when music is used as a vehicle to deliver it. And we often think that uh, lyrics become more innocent uh, and less powerful when they're attached to music, but the actual, the science and the Bible says the opposite is actually true. That when words are attached to music, they go deeper into us. That's true not only of the songs that we sing here that are filled with life-giving truth, they can be true of the songs that are uh, on our playlists that may or may not be filled with truth. So just a side note, be very careful about just watch your diet of music. Watch what you are intaking because every time you rock your playlist, you're ingesting ideas. You're swallowing thoughts about how life is, maybe how, who you are, how your identity is shaped. And some of those songs, if you stripped away all the, all the music and the, just the awesomeness about it, and you just read the words, if somebody came in and read them as a manifesto, you would think, I totally don't agree with that. Get out of here. Why are you saying that? But we strap it onto music and we're singing along with it like we believe it. And what'll happen is over time, things that you would normally reject outright is like, no, that's a lie. You're just swallowing without thinking about it. So just watch your diet. That doesn't mean you can't have fun and listen to some stuff every once in a while. Like, you know, you can have a Big Mac every once in a while. But, but if, you, if you've seen Super Size Me, you don't want to live off of that, okay? Watch your diet. Watch your diet of ideas and your diet of music. Okay, so maybe you aren't, conv uh, you aren't asking the question, gee, why do I sing? I like doing this. I like the singing. But you might like, okay, but how do we do it here? Why do we sing the songs that we sing here? Why do sometimes you get songs that repeat all the time? You know, we just sang, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Why do we do all that stuff? So we're gonna pull back the curtain a little bit on how we do our stuff every week, how we, how we pick our songs. And, and uh, the answer is we just pick the favorite songs that we like. <laughs> no, believe it or not, we don't. That is not what we do. In fact, so Joy and myself, I mean, we agree on everything all the time, so it's easy. Uh, well, and Jess and Leah and, and Will and 
many of our worship leaders, we've got different, we've got different preferences. We have different mm-hmm. tastes. Um, we are not picking favorites. Um, we're not singing songs because everybody, every other church on the street is singing that song or we're fans of an artist. We pick songs to theologically nourish our church, to feed ourselves. Planning a worship set on a, on a Sunday and, and over a given period of time is a little bit like, like planning meals. <clears throat> you know, when you're looking at your family and, and what their needs are and, and um, where, the, where their sensitivities are and, and what they like, and um, you're trying to put together a balanced diet of good stuff on the plate. And that's what we're trying to do is put a balanced diet of truth on our plates every week that will nourish our souls and will teach us and grow us. And we want to cover a broad range of themes. I mean, the Bible talks so much about God and so much about the gospel, and we want to try to cover that all. And so sometimes we're pulling out old tried and true recipes, you know, old songs that have been around a while because we know what they do and we know how that impacts us when we bring them. And, and other times we're trying new songs and new recipes that are going to bring out new flavors of God's truth that we, maybe we haven't tasted in certain ways yet. So all the while we're trying to have a, a perspective of the, of the full character of God, what the Bible teaches about him and us and the gospel. And we're bringing songs to the table that will help nourish us in this moment. That's, that's why we pick these songs. And, and you teach yourself theological truth through these songs. About 80% of the theology that you will know and apply in your life comes from the songs you sing. So just today, for example, in the songs Great Things and The Lion and the Lamb, we sang about Jesus as the messianic king and savior who's brought freedom from sin, he conquers death, and he's coming again to reign over the world in justice and righteousness. That's an eschatological truth that you sang and taught yourself today. And in the new song, Worthy of My Song, you sang about the immutability of God. Did you know you sang about immutability today? The unchanging nature of God, his faithfulness and his love and his sovereignty that is present and real and active even when our lives feel like they're falling apart. And that he's a God that's worthy and holy and should be worshipped no matter whether we're having the greatest moment of our life or the worst. You are teaching yourself that when you sing these songs out loud. We like to make sure that when we're gathering these songs, that the, the artistic presentation of them is such that both believers and non-believers can engage and connect with the truth of God. So we sort of curate the art of what we do. That's why we call ourselves worship arts pastors, because as we know, we're, we just learn from joy that worship is, everybody worships. But this, the art of it, what we want to bring to the table, is something that allows people to engage in a way that is intelligible and understanding, uh, but also confounds maybe uh, their preconceptions and connects them to God. Uh, In Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 and many other places in the Bible where they describe the gathering of God's people and the worship of God's people, there's assumption that worship is happening and that unbelievers and believers are present in the same gathering. And as you, the church, stand and sing truth, Every week, in this, you submit yourself to this rhythm and to this God that's worthy of praise. Those that don't know him yet see it, and they are tricked into coming back to life. That's how Anne Lamott put it. She came to Christ in a little Presbyterian church, and she said she, the, the sermons sometimes were connecting with her, but every week as she stood with this group of people, and they just humbly sang, it did something to her. 
and it, it bypassed and flanked all the barriers that she'd put up in her life to God. And she said, I was tricked into coming back to life. The church singing is an evangelistic witness to a watching world. And every Sunday, part of that watching world is here. And I'm so glad you are. If that's you and you're just, you're trying to check this out, thank you for being here and putting up with this weird liturgy and stand and sit and listen. And I hope that through all of this weirdness and awkwardness that you do hear the voice of God speaking to you today. It's hmm. good. Yeah, when we think about a gathered body um, of people united in one song, singing to one king, um, we know that, that we need more songs that are about we, we praise you, about us, us singing together as a gathered body. We, we know that um, both in the songs that we sing um, that are newer and also older songs um, uh, like hymns, that there is more of a me focus more of an I. And even in the Psalms that I read earlier, there, there are two Psalms that I read that started with I. And so we know that there is a place for that. But when we think about gathering and uniting as one, we want to make sure that we have songs that say we also. Um, uh, so so this, is, this is important for us as a ministry and important for us as a church, that we would be exalting God. Um, oftentimes, some of the songs that, that we sing may be a little bit hard for us to believe. Um, um, earlier, I had said, um, and this is true, it's going to be a both and. Earlier, I had said that worship isn't conditional on, on, on how we may feel, and yet we can acknowledge that we are so human and we all fall short. And so sometimes there are things in our life that happen that interfere with us pressing into worshiping God. We can acknowledge that yes, he is holy and, and yes, he is good, and still I'm having a hard time worshiping. Earlier this year um, in May, I lost my godfather. He passed away and I was so angry, I was so mad, and, and it was hard for me to, to, to worship and to lead worship too, and, and I, I, I knew and I know God is, God is real and He is holy and He is faithful, but it was hard for me to, to, to sing those words. But as a gathered body in community and relationship with one another, I am so thankful for our faith family and that, that I know how God has been faithful to other people so that if I can't praise God for, because of my own circumstance, at least I can look at, at Aaron's life and his family and I can, I can thank God for how he has moved in Aaron's life and his family's life, that he has been faithful to them. And, um, and so, so this is important to do, to, to, to sing songs together, to, to, to intercede for one another in worship and in prayer. Um, a, a song that we um, often do um, is Waymaker. And this song is so important, especially when we think about um, just singing these songs of, of not being able to to, to see how God is working, but, but he is. I love singing bridges of songs, and so I will like bear through the verse and the chorus of whatever song. You're getting insight into how I work. <laughs> um, so I love all songs, but I really just want to get to the bridge. It's all about right? the bridge. It's all about the bridge. I'm like, verse, chorus, 
great, beautiful bridge, 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 bridge. And so um, in the song Waymaker, we may repeat the bridge like four or five times. But the lyrics are, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And so we need that, that, that repetition in our lives to, so that we know that, that, um, that, sorry, that we can delight in this truth, that we can sing these songs. And during hard times in our life, that these songs can come to mind and, and remind us of how good God is. Yeah, my wife, Christina, makes this amazing sourdough. She's got a starter, and she keeps the starter in the, in the fridge, and I accidentally washed one of the dishes one time, so I almost threw it away. I'm so sorry. But she'll make these amazing uh, bagels and bread and sourdough pancakes with this. It's awesome. The ingredients in it are really very simple. There's the starter, and then sometimes there's some dough, I think, flour, and then some water, and it seems really simple. But she'll, uh, she'll conscript me sometimes to help make the dough. And you don't just put it into a bowl and leave it there. It's not about, or, and you don't add a bunch of other ingredients. It's not about just filling the bowl with gobs of content. Mm. It's taking these simple ingredients that are really solid and great and then kneading them together and stirring and working it in again and, and just having to continually just wrestle this stuff all the way through the dough. And you just have to keep working the same stuff all around until it's totally mixed into every part of the dough. And then you let it sit and it rises and it does its thing. And that's how it becomes this incredible dough is not from piling on new content, but from meditating and working on the same stuff. And so while I love songs that, you know, will go like a, a classic sort of a hymn structure where it, the, you know, it's like expository. Each verse unveils a new kind of truth. And those are wonderful, and we do those, and we want to celebrate how God works in those. For those of you who are content junkies, and when you get to those songs and you call them the 7-Eleven songs, you're like, yeah, we just sang the same line four times in a row. I get it. Move on. Need that, need the truth of, into the dough of your life. That is a, it's an opportunity and a challenge for you to go, every time I sing that line, I'm going to think about another place where that is true in my life or the life of somebody else. I'm going to work that truth into my life. It's a spiritual discipline to meditate on that. So it's just one of the reasons that we will do songs that repeat from time to time. It's not enough to just kind of sprinkle the truth on top. You work it deep in. And those will help that when it gets worked deep in, you will find that then it is easier for it to pop out when you need it most. There was a moment when um, our middle daughter, Tori, I can't look at you now. Uh, she was, uh, when she was 20 months, well, she was born with a ventricular, ventricular septal defect, a hole in her heart. So she needed open heart surgery to get that repaired. And after the recovery, during the recovery period in our ICU, her blood ox level started dropping dangerously. And uh, so our room went from this just peaceful, quiet recovery situation to like a scene from ER, like that fast. And I didn't know what to do. There was nothing I could do. All that happened to me was I recalled the, a section of one of the songs that we sing here on Sunday every once in a while called Hosanna, which means save now. So that popped into my head. And then there's a line, um, when we see you, we find strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away. Hosanna. And that just kept 
I just kept singing it over and over and over again in my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't think of anything else. But that truth broke through the confusion and the chaos and the fear, and it spoke to me in that moment. God is a God who saves now, and my fears can be walked away when I focus on Him. We work these truths in, and they will work themselves out when you need them most. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> Um, so why do we worship as a gathered body? You guys are all here, so we've all gathered. Um, but why, why do we worship together? We are united in one song for one king. Aaron um, shares analogies with us a lot, and it broadens our horizons, makes us look at things differently, and I call them dorisms. Um, and actually, he shared just two during this oh. message. <laughs> Simple thoughts from a simple mind. <laughs> and they're brilliant and they're so helpful. And so as we were preparing for this message, he shared this analogy with me that I'm going to say while he's just sitting right here. Um, and when, when talking about the gathered body, it is like going and cheering on your favorite sports team. Now, get whatever team is in your mind. Um, get whatever your favorite team is in your mind. And I, I won't name what that team will be. Um, I'll either get boos or cheers or whatever. But, <laughs> but what is your favorite sports team? You go to a game and you may be wearing a jersey and you show up with a whole bunch of other fans and you guys are all wearing the same jersey. There's that commonality. You're cheering on the same team. You don't know these people aside from the people who you came with. But you guys are all kind of one, one family, and that is how the church is. We are all gathered together because of God. We are all on the same team with one another. Even though we may be different, we are still under one body in Christ, united in Christ. Worship reorders our lives. We unite in love and worship of God. Our differences don't become divisions, but rather, we, but rather we are under one category, under the family of God. Worship is an antidote to division. Hmm. I think back to that time of 2020, we may remember it. Um, and during 2020, we saw a lot of division, not, not just globally and not just in our church, we saw it within our family and our friends that these things that, that started dividing us were political affiliation, COVID, um, um, COVID opinions and thoughts, vaccine opinions and thoughts, and race. And we saw this division happen, and it was devastating. And I, and I know that some of you in this room have, are no longer talking with people who you lost during that time in relationship because of, of these very divisive things that entered into preventing you from being in relationship with one another. And so I, I, I do wanna challenge you though this morning, if there is someone who is coming to your mind, if God is calling you to make peace with them, I encourage you to pray through that. If, they're, if you're in this room and you know that they are in this room, maybe not get up right now and, and, and make peace, but ask God, how does he want you to make peace with this person? I think about Aaron and I and how we are co-leaders, co-laborers, leading the worship arts ministry and leading our church. How devastating it would have been if we had allowed political affiliation, 
um, opinions and thoughts about vaccines or our race get in the middle of us just leading the kingdom of God in worship. How, how devastating would that be? It would be, have been such a ripple effect. And so I encourage you just to, to make peace. Yeah, worship unites us under what is the most important, right? That's the thing that orders our lives and energizes us around it. And doing that together, the Bible is very clear. Worship is, and singing together is a key component of that. Mm -hmm. While we do see individual or examples of individual worship in the Bible in response to what God is doing, you know, Mary's song, the Magnificat, is an example of that. Most of the time, predominantly, worship is described in a gathered setting. Let's revisit the Ephesians and the Colossians passages that we looked at earlier, but we're going to focus on a phrase that repeats itself. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Do not get drunk on wine with that's debauchery. Again, my favorite word, but uh, be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're not just singing upward, we're also singing mm -hmm. to each other. Isn't that interesting? Uh, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God uh, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a tough word for us Westerners to swallow. We don't like to submit to anyone. We're the captain of our own ships. Mm. But when we sing together, we're, we're singing to one another and we're demonstrating that we are preferring and deferring to one another as part of one body, one another. Let's go to Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, there it is again, one another in all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. All right, if, you are, if your only worship experience is individual, it's going to be tricky to obey the one another part of these passages. These aren't just suggestions. They're Paul commanding and instructing these churches, do it to one another. We need to be gathered together in order to be obedient to that command and for that to happen, for us to sing to one another, to submit to one another. Let's look at Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You're picking up a pattern. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That's a lot of plural in there. It's not a lot of singular individualism. Let us, let us, let us. How are you going to us if it's just you and your playlist and your AirPods? And did you notice at the end in, in verse 7, what's important is not just that it's a gathered plural thing happening, but that it is a gathered identity that's being formed. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture. In singing together, they are establishing an identity that's not just an individual identity as a follower of Christ, but it's an identity that we form together as one people gathered in his name. As we sing together, we form an identity as what we call a covenant people of God, a people that belong to God. Yeah. Yeah, songs shape the identity of God's people as he delivers and, and saves. And we see this in Exodus, in the people of Israel, that, they, that their identity were slaves under the rule and control of Pharaoh. 
But as the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea by the power of God, escaping Pharaoh and his army, then they sang a gathered worship together. They, they then became this new identity, no longer slaves, but, but now free. On top of that, in addition to that, I love this part, Miriam led the women in worship. She is the first documented female worship leader in the Bible, and this is shown in Exodus 15, 20. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Whenever I'm reading scripture, I like to look up different translations of whatever scripture that I'm reading. So I was reading through the Amplified Version, and I saw this footnote that I want to share with you. It was natural enough to create and sing a song of celebration to the Lord at this point, but the song the song, with all its detail, undoubtedly served as a memory device as well, a way to embed the account in the miracle of the minds of the people of Israel. God transformed their minds and gave them a new identity and a new hope. So singing together as a people, it reminds and rehearses the truth of who God is, who we are in him together as a gathered people, what our identity is. Mm. We are preaching truth to each other about who we are together in him. And it also points us to the future reality that he will bring, which gives us hope. We get a picture of that future reality in Revelation 5. Let's look at that together as we start to wrap up. This picture of this reality starts with a song. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation, or language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, right? His ransom, his blood has saved and made a people that came from every nation and language and, and tongue is now one people, a kingdom and priests. Did you know your priests? Now go post on Facebook and retweet remembering that you're a priest to God with everything that you do. Let's keep going. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We are his people. We're his saved people, his beloved people, his adopted people, his image bearing priest ambassadors from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. Amen? That's who we are. Now, you might be in this room or you might be online and you're saying, I want to be part of this people, but I can't sing that song of salvation yet because I have not given myself to the king of this people. I have not received the forgiveness and the freedom that comes from him. Your identity is still captive and a slave to sin. 
but you can sing the song of salvation today. You can choose to have a new identity as part of this people of God who have been saved by him. You can give him your surrender. You can give him your heart. You can give him your worship. Make him your king and your savior today. If that is you and you want to do that today, then I'd love for you to pray with us. As we all pray together, you can repeat these words and make them your own as you give yourself to this king and become a part of this people. Let's pray. Holy God, I don't know everything about you, but I know enough to know that I cannot save myself. I am a captive. That is my identity. I am trapped in my own sin. And so today I ask you to part the sea. Let me walk through to freedom because of what you have done on the cross. I confess now that your death has ransomed me and bought me out of captivity, and I will now receive your forgiveness and experience your freedom. Every other God that I've tried to worship, including myself, I forsake. I worship you first and you alone. I give you my life and my heart and my worship, and I trust that your spirit will fill me and your word will dwell in me richly as you teach me how to think and love and live like you and follow after you. Thank you for your salvation in my life today. Amen. Amen. If you did pray that prayer um, here in this building, then we want to invite you, after we're done singing together, to go out to the atrium where there will be people who would love to pray with you or just answer any questions that you have. But also there will be people down front at the end of our gathering who would love to pray with you too and talk with you. If you're online, you can go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and someone will reach out to you. So we should respond together. We just talked about singing. We should sing, shouldn't we? We want to stand together and sing to one another, right? We want to sing the truth. Let these words come out of your mouth. Let them teach yourself and encourage you. What is true about you? What is true about God? Let's worship the God who saves together.